thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We ask that, again, you would be gracious to us and by your spirit open our hearts and our minds to what you would teach us this morning about yourself, about us, and about what you've done for us in Christ. We pray that he's glorified this morning in our discussion over this next passage in the book of the covenant. Thank you for condescending, reaching down to us and giving us not only your son, but a book that is outside of us, objective, that we can read and understand and that sets a standard by which we are to govern our lives. That's not dependent on our whims or on the culture, but is grounded in your very nature. And we're to reflect you. And we thank you for doing that for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, we are continuing through the book of the covenant. We're in Exodus 22, starting in verse 21. We're going through verse 27 today. And we're coming upon something else that's a little bit uncomfortable to discuss, but what's new in this class? It's not sex, but it's political, kind of a political hot topic these days. Um, And it's what to do with the poor, the vulnerable, and the alien. What do you do? Did I really? (laughs) I'm so sorry about that. Hey, how are you doing? Welcome. What you don't do with the poor, the vulnerable, and the alien is lock them out of your room, apparently. (laughs) We'll be talking about borders later. Okay. Uh, The Book of the Covenant, it follows the Ten Commandments, right? And what have we seen so far? There is prescriptive law and descriptive law. And when we say prescriptive, what are we talking about? Timeless. Timeless. It's eternal. Ten Commandments are rested or, or an expression of the Ten Testimonies of the nature of God Himself, and the and the Book of the Covenant is a descriptive law that shows time and place. The theocracy, the the, the government of Israel at that time, expresses the the nature and the character of God for that time period. Today's interesting. I, I is going through it this week. I. I think we often forget that um, the law in the Old Testament is filled with obligations of the covenant people to, toward the needy, toward those who are um, um, exposed and, 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 and not um, protected. We see over and over again a reference to the, the three uh, categories, the sojourner, uh, the widow, and the orphan. And it's kind of, later on in Scripture, you'll see that this phrase is kind of an idiom describing all of those who are underprivileged generally. It's first used here in the passage we're reading today. The Torah, the law of Moses, takes responsibility to care for those in need very seriously. It's interesting to me. Uh, Anyway, we'll talk about this in a minute. How, How this... Uh, plays out. Uh, look, Exodus 22, 
starting in verse 21. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him and you shall not exact interest from him. If ever you take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that is his only covering, and it is, and it is his cloak for his body, and what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. What do you do with this, Americans in the 21st century? What do you do with this? If all scripture is breathed out by God, if all scripture is profitable, how do, we, how do we apply this? First of all, who is a sojourner? What does that mean? Kind of an archaic term. They're not a citizen. They're kind of hanging out for whatever reason. Generally, they're workers, right? Uh, in this situation, they were working for an Israelite, um, but they don't own any land in Israel. They're an alien uh, in, in the land. So the law in uh, Moses' law gives aliens special rights, sort of, in, within the land. They're given the rights of gleaning. What does that mean, the rights of gleaning? You know what that is? Yeah. Yeah, you can come behind somebody else's field after they've harvested it, and anything that's kind of left over or overabundant in the field, they can come in and pick after them for food. Um, they have a right to share in the blessings of the sabbatical year to take off from work. They have the right to participate in certain hospitality feasts, like the Feast of Booze, where Everybody pulls together and has a huge feast. The alien can come in and, and eat as well. They have a right to receive a, a portion of a special tithe. Every three years, the land takes up. Everybody is supposed to pitch in for a three-year tithe. And they have the right to other benefits. Can you imagine if we required, as a nation everyone to put up a special tax for the poor and foreigners, foreigners among us every third year. <coughs> Think of the, the floor battles in Congress over that one. This was not um, voted on. This was part of their covenant with God. This is how they were to treat foreigner in the land. Why? What is this grounded in? They were sojourners in Egypt and treated horribly. Yes, 
So, what is he saying there? Old people need to be with God. Ah. Isn't that interesting? Um, it's not just the Israelites who are to benefit from the nature of God. It's foreshadowed to God saving the nations. Very interesting. In Deuteronomy 10.19, not only are they to give lip service and kind of forced uh, benefits to the alien in their land, but in Deuteronomy 10.19, Moses' second sermon to them before he dies, he recapitulates the law, gives it again, and in this section of it says, Love the sojourner, therefore for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Is that odd to you? Does it make you get a little bristly on the 4th of July weekend? <coughs> what do you think? Sure. I, I don't see uh, any test for chronic drunkenness at the third-year tax. You know, who can who can benefit from that? Like uh, drug testing, for example. I don't I don't see that here. Of course, there weren't you know the prevalence of it. I guess then. Uh, notice, however, that there was still a distinction made. There's a difference between an Israelite, and a sojourner. They knew the difference. Borders matter. Citizenship mattered. Culture and covenant mattered. But here it shows they can matter in a loving way. We go to such extremes, don't we? One way or the other. We shouldn't have any borders. That's That makes people feel less than. Or... Kick them all out, right? Don't we go to extremes? What do you see here? Why? What's at stake here? Why would God compel them? This is a law. Why would he compel them to do this? Okay. And so in their their interactions with people from other nations, other ethnic groups or whatever, they were supposed to be different in the way they treated them so that they would reflect God. They were to be different to reflect God because they were to be a light to the nations. Is that and and that difference is displayed in how they act, not just in lip service. And so you have laws that compel them to act a certain way, to show we were once sojourners in Egypt, and this is how we were treated by pagans. Not so with the people of God. All right. Stop.
And we'll now move on to widows and orphans. We'll come back to this in a second. Why did the widow and the orphan need protection? Why do they need protection? What, by definition, what is a widow? She lost her husband. By definition, what is an orphan? Parents, possibly, you know, father um, could also be considered orphan. So you have no husband or father to stand up for these. They're easily exposed to violence. Who's going to protect them? Or provide for them, exactly. Um, they're understood to be needy. What is a consequence for mistreatment of the widow and orphan? What does it say? Measure by measure, that's exactly right. A widow for a widow, an orphan for an orphan. It's measure by measure. Who, who, who exacts retribution here? Do we take it before the judge? Do we do the thing? Yes, Lord, the, judge. the judge. Who puts himself as the special prosecutor here? God does. Jesus, yes, it anticipates the judgment of Christ. Yes, I'll grant you Jesus is a good answer in Sunday school. Um, you see irony here. You see irony here. What's the punishment for a thief? Double to quadruple pay, depending on the situation. Here, what you intend for harm becomes harm to you. Um, and the way that harm comes is your death and your family's left in that position. And it's done by God. Look at verse 25. My first question to you is, is there a compulsion to lend to the poor here? Are they compelled to lend to the poor? No. It says if. <clears throat> I uh, worked for a firm one time that was interested in getting into real estate loans, and they were in discussions with, um, I, I happened to be at a lunch where this discussion was taking place. Uh, they were talking with this guy about getting into B-paper loans. You know what B-paper is? What's B-paper? Subprime loans. Uh, the, the borrower isn't as creditworthy as other A-paper loans would be. But this guy was really interested in doing B-paper loans because you could charge a higher interest rate. Sure, you may default on some, but overall, you make a lot more money. One commentator says that the root word here for interest means to bite like a snake. And his statement is, it inflicts a small wound in a person's foot, which he does not feel at first, but all at once it swells and distends the whole body up to the top of his head. So it is with interest. What is this for a poor person? It's slavery. Right? You're not going to pay this back. 
If you're exacting those high interest rates, that becomes slavery again. Right, right. God protects the Israelite in need from this type of slavery. Who could they charge interest to? Excuse me. To whom could they charge interest? Who are we talking about here? <clears throat> if you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, well, who can you charge interest? The not poor, okay, and those who are foreigners. That's interesting. What do you make of that? to the wealthy it will not be slavery assuming that they have good money management skills anyway and why would the wealthy need one yeah there's that issue as well unless you got a big silo project you know and hold more grain Build a bigger chicken coop. Um, always a good business venture. <laughs> um, for the foreigner, though, why? I mean, we've just talked about sojourners being part of that group where they consider poor, right? Why? And don't we see the same kind of issue here again? In these blocks of code, there's the general principle, and then it pulls out, teases out specific situations. And I think you're right. I think the first phrase, the first verse there, sets the tone. Love the sojourner. So you're not supposed to take advantage or oppress anyone. Right. That's the idea. That's the idea. You're not to oppress anyone. Um, if that's the case, well, a lender can expect his principal to be returned, but he can't, make, he can't make a gain from it against a poor person. That's the idea. If that's the case, why would anyone ever lend without expecting interest? You're not getting anything. You're not, it's not very capitalistic. Grace, grace, marvelous grace. Well, what does a guy get from lending to the poor? He's not getting any interest back. He still has to do the third year. It's like sending your kids to private school. You still have to pay the land, you know, the property taxes. It is. It's that's a snake bite. Um, what uh, what's going on here? What does he get? A relationship is built. A relationship is built. Okay, with whom? His own people. His own people. When a guy gives money to the poor, he's seen as what? Benevolent, Benevolent generous, kind. This is an honor-based culture, isn't it? He builds up for himself, dare we use the word, glory. 
honor, weightiness as being a man of generosity. Why is that prized in Israel? What does it say? Why is that prized in Israel? What's this grounded in? God is compassionate. It's grounded in God's character. In his nature, I am compassionate. And there's honor in reflecting that, or at least there should be among the covenant people. I'm compassionate. I was to you in, in Egypt. Uh, I, I was to you in providing for you without any interest, bread from heaven, quail from the sky, water from the rock. Do you see? This is all grounded in the nature of God, who he is. We should reflect that. And isn't it odd how that extends to even the most secular activity of lending money? Yeah, it goes back to don't steal and don't covet, right? Uh, it's all God's stuff. We're stewards. I think you're right. We're stewards. And we're to govern in a way that is gracious and brings glory, weightiness to him by reflecting who he is. And even the most basic, very, you know, not, not overly star-studded event of lending money. I mean, there's no, this isn't like going and building an orphanage in some foreign land or whatever. This is just lending money. Supply and demand. The market controls. There's an argument. From the poor. The rich. Or the people of moderate means who are trying to build an empire or build a, a dynasty. Yeah. Go ahead. I wasn't going there. Go ahead. Ruth is a great example of the application of these laws. And again, it points to Christ, which is what we're finding again and again. Yes? Um, well, okay, so in the first part it says lending money, but on the second part, why is it that you can give your pearls but lend money? Because lending implies that you're going to get it back. Yeah. Without interest, that you can give something away, so why do you... Why would he give a cloak? Who's giving? Who's giving the cloak? The poor man is giving the cloak, isn't he? 
And that's a typical thing in the culture. If you're going to borrow money, there has to be some visible exchange. Right, the person who's borrowing gives the cloak as a pledge, I will repay. And typically in the near ancient Near East, that, I mean, you hang on to the collateral until the loan is paid. At least that's how my mortgage worked. Oh. Right? He hangs on to the collateral until the loan is paid. But what does he say here? Why? He'll be cold, he'll be exposed at night. So there's a trust with the, among the covenant community that they're going to actually honor their word, that there is a, um, well, that's the ninth commandment implications there, isn't it? <laughs> Don't give false testimony. Yeah. Well, it, he, still, he still can expect the, 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 um, the principal back. I mean, the, the, the issue is he can lend the guy money. He just can't make money off of lending him money. You know, here's, here's $1,000 to get groceries this week. You're going to pay me back over six months or whatever. Here's my cloak as pledged. I'm going to pay back over six months. Um, I said dollars, didn't I? Everything's trading U.S. currency even back then. Um, so you have, you have a, a cultural expression of I owe him money. He's not charging me interest because I'm poor, but I still owe him money. Here's my cloak. But even that, God says, give it back to him before sun goes down. Why? He's exposed. He's borrowing money. He doesn't really have a whole lot to work with. He's going to be cold at night. Um, Deuteronomy again. And if he is a poor man, you shall not sleep in his pledge. You shall restore to him the pledge as the sun sets that he may sleep in his cloak and bless you. See, there's that honor thing again. The guy you're loaning money to receives his pledge back, and he honors you. He blesses you. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an honor society. It's just generosity. It brings him favor among the people. That he may bless you, and you may be righteous, and it will be righteousness for you before the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 24, 12 through 13. One person was not to be the cause of another's suffering, even if he had a right to normally. That's not how the covenant community is to operate. And it's on the basis, God says, for I am compassionate. It's because it's a reflection of the nature of God. He responds mercifully. Even in the very secular activity of lending money, the covenant community is to testify through their actions of his goodness and grace. We have a tough time with this. Don't we? Uh, we see two extremes in the church. One, there's a social gospel church where, you know, deeds, not creeds. We don't really care. The Bible says what it's going to say, but we need to be serving people and doing the thing for people, and that's Jesus with no theological basis or very little theological basis for doing that. Then we have the other side. <clears throat> it's very particular about doctrine. Really want
wants to get everything nailed down, have the right doctrine, and yet is afraid of falling into that whole social gospel stuff, right? Here it shows very clearly that there's no conflict between good theology and acts of mercy. There shouldn't be. You really can't have one without the other, can you? You know what James says? Um, show me your dead faith, I'll show you my faith by my works. Demonstrate my faith by my works, he says. The law of Moses, again, um, points to the heart. Actions flow from the heart. Turn to James 1, uh, James chapter 2. I had an opportunity to go through this with someone earlier this week, and I thought it was so appropriate for this morning. Hebrews and then James. James chapter 2. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are not the ones who are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. I'd add in there, he also said, love the sojourner. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What is the law of liberty? What does that mean? The law of liberty. Okay. The freedom we have in Christ to do what? To do what's right to do what was commanded of Israel from the heart. Is that right? Well, it goes even further than that. I think that okay. um, in the law, uh, like certain crimes are committed to kill the person or whatever, the first thing. And then uh, Jesus comes and says, turn the other cheek. So he's actually like kind of releasing the 
You're talking about the judgment for violations of the law, showing mercy in 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 in, in judgment against the law. Um, okay, I see that. On judgment, um, what about loving your neighbor? Is that an optional thing? No. Can we do that? Can we do that? Can I, in and of my own heart, do that? What's the law of liberty? I'm commanded to do it. And as the covenant people of God, this law of liberty is to be done how? Written into our codes of each of our lands. It's written on the heart. Why? How does that work? I've had an x-ray of the heart, and I don't see five books of Moses written there. What, what does that mean, written on the heart? It's part of who you are, right? The nature's changed. The, the, my heart, if it's an engine, rests in neutral at a different RPM than the pagan. Selfish, exacting interest on B paper, give him back his clothes. Right? You see that? Love him because he's created in the image of God. That's from the heart. That's whoever you're looking at. That's the guy who does prayers five times a day and is trying to get the little thing built in your town because it represents his religion. You, you love him, right? You love him? We look to drop bombs on him. Happy Fourth of July. Um... We're to be part of the culture and be a blessing to the culture to transform it slowly, person by person, into the image and reflecting the nature of God. That's what we do as a church. Yes? Right. I don't know if that Co- makes sense. No, it does make sense. It's actually anticipating the next thing. I'll read. I'll. I'll. I'll read what I wrote, basically, which captures what you just said. Um, the law of liberty compels us to show compassion to the poor, not because of a written government code or tax, but because our actions should reflect the nature of the one who saved us. We go to widows, widowers orphans because Christ made us rich in our poverty. He clothed us 
in the riches of his grace when we were destitute and naked to the ravages of sin and judgment. I, I want to add this to it as well. This is a side note. This is free. But I think it's something that should be thought about in our circles. James talks about partiality. What time is it? Okay. James talks about partiality. And we, we typically think rich, poor. Um, we, we draw those lines on, on ethnic lines, socioeconomic lines, Yankee, Southern lines, whatever. Here's one I'd, I'd like to bring to the surface for us. If I show partiality buying per, by preferring to be with those who have read the right books, who have the right thoughts about certain things in theology. And I kind of marginalize those who don't read the right books or read it all, who prefer audiobooks, who don't, <laughs> or who don't really like to read. Do, have I made a distinction in the body of Christ? Have, if I'm always quoting Puritans or Augustine, have I made a distinction between those who are rich theologically and those who are eh, not so much? Do we do that? Far be it from us to make any distinctions. Right. We are called to think. We are. But there are certain gifts that certain people have, and other people have gifts of um, active mercy and hospitality and things that, that shouldn't be contradictory. They right. Work together to strengthen each other. Right. And, and we need to appreciate all the gifts in the body of Christ, not just mine. Right? I mean, I, I've told you about when they did the spiritual gift testing at the church I used to go to. And, and I scored high on, um, they call it the prophet gift. I don't know. I never really predicted anything except um, Obama's win in 2012. Um, uh, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't uh, score very high on kindness and mercy. I think it was a negative three on that one, which they said wasn't possible. I, I, I don't know. Um, so I have a deficit there, Right? which Christ is working very diligently on me for that by putting me in situations where that is shown again and again. My first reaction and second and third reaction oftentimes is not Christ-like. So I see that. So I appreciate the gift of those who have kindness. I don't, what is this bleeding heart person over here? Doing? I, I can't do that. No, no, no. I, I point this way. Uh, well, maybe. Uh, so there, there is that tendency to judge someone based upon where my heart is, right? Do, you, do, you, do we have that? Sometimes? I am the standard. My gift is supreme. You people come to me, right? We, we do that. That's what we do. That's partiality. That's making a distinction in the body of Christ. When God gives gifts, Christ rose to give gifts to men and women to serve the body in different ways. Um, borders matter, culture matters, citizenship matters, 
But what are we to do with the numbers of illegal aliens pouring across our borders? What are we to do with that? I'll leave the politics of that for another discussion at another place. But I want to leave you with this. Have you stopped to consider, as a member of the covenant community, that the coming of those from foreign lands to our shores is saving us a plane ticket to go to theirs? It's a lot easier to go into all the world when all the world wants to be where you are. So instead of picketing with malice, I'm not saying don't discuss policy and think about what's the right way to do things. But to marginalize and hate someone because they're not American is, that's not what we're called to be. It's not what we're called to do. How do we show compassion here? What would it look like if we did so from an understanding that we who once were far off were brought near by the blood of Christ? What would that look like? Now I've got several people on the College Republican board in here thinking, he's going Rand Paul on us. (laughs) What would it look like, Christian, from the heart? Any questions or comments? All right, I'll pray. Father, uh, I thank you that you're gracious. And in your grace, you bring us to these very uncomfortable topics that challenge us and the idols that we hold in our hearts. It's good to love your country. It's good to love your culture. But we have to remember that we must do so in a way that reflects you and you alone. I thank you for the work you've been doing on my heart going through this. I pray that your spirit continues to grow us in grace as we look out across the field of harvest. Make us workers in the field. Not showing partiality to which portions of the field we are to harvest, but to, but to preach the gospel indiscriminately and to display the effect that it has had in our own hearts indiscriminately. We pray for wisdom and discernment in how we do it, But God, at this point, we just pray that we do it. We ask that you would glorify Christ in our midst and make us doers and not hearers only. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.